I miss a green, for example. I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. Welcome to the Friday Golf Podcast. I'm Garrett Morrison, and today my co-host Andy Johnson and I are doing a Sand Valley Dream 18. That means we're picking out our favorite holes from the Sand Valley Resort's five courses at each number. Those courses now include Corin Crenshaw's original Sand Valley, David McClay Kidd's Mammoth Dunes, Corin Crenshaw's Sandbox Short Course, Tom Doak's New Sedge Valley, and on the private side, the recently opened recreation of C.B. McDonald's Lido. There has been a lot happening at the Sand Valley Resort lately, a ton of new projects with a lot of architectural interest. And over the past several months, Andy and I have both spent a lot of time in Wisconsin keeping track of what's going on. So we thought it would be a good time to take stock, Dream 18 style, and really talk about the resort in depth. Now, before we get to that, a quick word from our partner for this episode, AG1. If you're a longtime listener, you might know that I've been drinking AG1 for most of this year. When I started drinking AG1 daily, I noted a real difference in my energy levels and my feelings of health throughout the day. And that's because AG1 is a foundational nutrition supplement that supports your body's universal needs like gut optimization, stress management, and immune support. Since 2010, AG1 has led the future of foundational nutrition, continuously refining their formula to create a smarter, better way to elevate your baseline health. Now, one thing I really appreciate about AG1 is the availability of travel packs. I take these with me when I'm on the road, and for the past month or so, I've been traveling a lot. Usually when I travel, I kind of let things go. I don't eat that well. I don't do the things that I need to do in order to stay healthy. But bringing these AG1 travel packs with me has allowed me to maintain at least that routine while I'm on the road. So if you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash the fried egg. That's drinkag1.com slash the fried egg. Check it out and let's get going with the Sand Valley Dream 18. All right, we're back. We're doing uh, the first ever podcast, live podcast, with two participants from The Shed. We're both in The Shed. Yeah. The Shed, for those that don't know, is uh, I, I record out of like a simple garden shed. Um, it, we've made some improvements inside The Shed, but you know, one of the big improvements, now we can have two people in here. How, how do you like it, Garrett? I'm very impressed by The Shed. I see that it might be called Sheddy Hackett. I think that's my name. It's a, a listener oh, okay. sent signs see. on the outside. You probably didn't catch it. It says shed quarters. It says shed quarters. Oh, yeah. sure. Well, I, I've seen pictures of that before. But yeah, I mean, it's it's very nice inside. It's well appointed. You have 
really great art on the walls. Right behind your head is a what appears to be a signed picture of Lee Westwood <laughs> next to a photo of a, a relatively obscure Bulls center, probably. Yes. Yeah, it's um, uh, it's uh, I have a collection of very mediocre Bulls, signed <laughs> Bulls, uh, big men. So that's yeah. that's None Michael, of the elite players. That's Michael Sweetney, oh, uh, yeah, former sure. Georgetown okay. legend. <laughs> Who could also, forget? Also have uh, Tyrus Thomas, uh, uh-huh. this, the same person that sent Shetty, Shetty Hackett and Shed Quarters uh, sent these. I all see. these, okay. you know, Billy all Ho. This, all yeah. this uh, great stuff. Yeah, there's a, a, a Sabatini picture, of course, and people have probably seen pictures of it of it online. But once you're inside, you realize there's a good amount of room in here. And it's actually really nicely laid out. I'm not sure if you cleaned up before I came. There's even a, a chair for your daughter right there, and so you've you've got it all set up. I'm I'm pretty impressed. We'll we'll get to what we're going to talk about, but it was uh, I have a three year old, and you know she's discovered TV and understands what TV is. And recently, you know, I had I had to I was I had a lot of work to do, and I had the three year old, and I brought her out here, and I have a TV in here. And I put the TV on. I put one of her shows on, and you know she's really into this show, Gabby's Dollhouse. And and she she like you know just in that excited yelling child voice was like, "Your TV gets Gabby's Dollhouse too." <laughs> the shed TV, <laughs> yeah, gets Gabby's Dollhouse. Yeah. What so else can you ask for? Now she's always asking to come out to the shed. You know. So, so anyways, yes, the shed, uh, this is a, this is a landmark moment in the history of, of uh, Friday golf podcast. So, um, anyways, we're going to talk, we're not talking about the shed for this podcast. No, that's not the topic of this podcast. Garrett, you spent, uh, you had two big trips to sand Valley this year. Um, it's a place that I've been a number of times, just my Midwest roots and, um, you know, real quick anecdote story that I always like think about is the first fried egg, uh, golf trip as a business, as an entity, the first, you know, kind of trip that I went on, I went with some buddies and we played, uh, sand Va- Valley during their first year's preview play. And they were operating out of a trailer. I think there was 12 holes available of the sand valley golf course and it was just just piles of sand everywhere you drove in you parked by the trailer it was really cool experience but i think about it all the time as like that was where like the that version of of what we what we do days of the of the podcast the company and i wrote it i wrote an article about about the place um and uh, it was just one of the first trips. And now every time I go back, I see all these new buildings, all these things are working on. It's a super, super impressive build out and resort that's uh, just continuing to get better every year that the uh, that the Kaisers are behind Michael and Chris, the sons own it. Um, and uh, this year they're uh, adding two new co- they added Lido this year that's tangentially connected to the resort that offers a resort play and Sedge Valley which uh, I got to play all 18 holes of last month um, that will be opening next year, which will be an, a tremendous uh, addition to the resort. So with you having visited a couple times this year, me having been there again this year, we figured we might do a uh, little Dream 18, similar to what we did with Band and Dunes a couple years ago. So uh, with the winter ahead, I figure we can do Dream 18 and some in-depth course uh, talks about one of the most heavily uh, trafficked uh, U.S. golf resorts. Right. I mean, it, it 
to large populations, it's more accessible than Band and Dunes. And if you think about it, like it, it might seem premature to do a Dream 18 for Sand Valley. But if you think about it, we did a Dream 18 for Band and Dunes, drawing from the five 18 hole courses that existed there at the time. And now, when you look at Sand Valley, we included the sandbox in our Dream 18, and there are five courses to draw from. It's kind of unbelievable how quickly this resort has expanded. If you look at the Google Earth imagery, and anybody can do this, you need to download the Google Earth app. But if you look at how things have developed since 2017, basically, 2016, when they started building Sand Valley to now, like it's just exploded. There was nothing there before. Absolutely nothing but trees, right? And sandy soil. You could see some blowouts. Some ATV tracks, too. It was a popular ATV destination. Craig right. Haltom found the land, and and Craig is a golf architect in his own right, uh, really up-and-coming golf architect in his own right. And uh, then he got involved with the Kaisers, and, and this thing came to uh, came to life. Right. Yeah, he found the land, and they've moved really quickly in, in developing the resort. And they're even building... I'm not sure how much we can talk about this, but they're building a family course out there too, or what Michael Kaiser refers to as as the commons. It'll be a not quite a par three course, but also not quite a regulation course. And it'll be a little more subtle and not a lot of bunkers is how I understand it. And so that should be pretty interesting to see as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's fascinating too, because obviously like I think the sandbox in my opinion, and I think you share this opinion from what you've written about it in, in our in Club TFE and you're right up there. But I think this is that the sandbox is probably the greatest par three course that I've ever played. Um I agree with that. I don't think you've played Band and Preserve. Yeah. We were there for a few days and we didn't play it, which was a bit of a miss, but if I'll you get had, up there. If you had been there with us, you would have understood why we missed uh Band and Preserve. We had we had things to do, but I have played Band and Preserve, and a lot of people would refer to that as the best par three course that they've ever played. And and it's certainly more spectacular. It sits on a piece of land that a normal course could not have occupied, and it's really beautiful and striking. But in terms of design, the sandbox is, I think, on another level. And it is, yeah, the best par three course I've played for sure. Yeah. So let's get into it. Um we will do uh, a selection. Garrett and I each have different lists. There probably is a lot of overlap. There's probably a good amount of overlap. We we sat here in the shed and we came up with them sort of on the spot. So I'm not going to make any great claims that this is like perfectly refined here. And we also talked about a couple of holes. And so we may have been influencing each other. So we'll be thinking it through as we go along for sure. I always tell people with these types of exercises, it's similar to like, what's your favorite golf course? But with Dream 18s, I could do one of these tomorrow and the results would be different, right? Like you're you're just like, oh, kind of it depends on your mood and different things. I recently um for the upcoming Dream Golf magazine that they send out, I did a Dream 18 for all resorts. So, it was kind of <laughs> fresh in my mind. You're the Dream 18 expert. You, oh, yeah. This is just what you do. Yeah. That's all I do. All I do is Dream 18s. Um but uh but so yeah, this was fun. I I really enjoyed this. Who's what's your whole one? I went with Sand Valley, but I don't feel super strongly about it. I feel like I could have picked 
one at Sandbox, which is kind of a fun hole-in-one opportunity. It's a crazy hole. Yeah. And we, one of my great memories from our uh, visits there this uh, past summer was standing there with Matt Rusius and Cameron Hurtis, who work for Friday Golf. And Matt started just throwing golf balls from the tee at this first hole and using the contours to kind of feed them in. Now he, he has more arm speed than I do. Matt, Matt is a young buck. He, he can, he can really got a more el- elasticity, a little more el- elasticity. He's into, he's into yoga too. So, you know, he, he's, yeah, he's an athletic young man and, and he was able to get that golf ball kind of sailing down there, but it was really cool to watch the ball sort of feed in and, and the different ways that you could approach this hole. Um, well, with and, that front pin on the sandbox, you can use the right side and putt yes. it. You can putt it and funnel it in there. You could use the left side even, maybe not with a putter, uh-huh. but uh, you there's can, lots of options. If you putt it around the like little berm on the right, it, the putt will funnel right into the hole. Mm-hmm. And here we are talking about a hole that's not even on my Dream 18, but I may have just talked myself into it. Sand Valley, the first hole is really cool. You've got a big hazard you know, sandy waste area up the left, and you've got a kind of platform green with a couple of sections to it. And it's a very friendly opening hole. It's fairly short, but there is a line of charm along the hazard. And if you decide to bite off a little bit more of that than you should, then you can get in trouble on on this first hole. I think it's just a great opening tee shot in the sense of nobody's ever really comfortable on the first tee. I think I feel like more so than a lot of places at this at this golf course, you might go to the first tee without hitting golf balls. I don't know. The range is kind of far far away. Well, the range is right there now. Well, they have sometimes that range is open. I don't know the exact. Oh, that's true. I haven't seen many people hitting balls out there. So they have. They. I don't know if the warm up range still exists there. Um, you know, it it was there. Um, and you know, forgive me. I haven't been. I haven't played Sand Valley in a couple years. Um, but anyways, I what I love about that tee shot is that it really tests you right off the bat, right? You have to be very comfortable and and really make a great swing to hit a great tee shot there. And it's right off the bat. Um, it Then if you hit a great tee shot, presents like a great birdie opportunity. Um, if you get into the wrong spot, you could be struggling on a short par four to make par, right? And like, I think one of the things I do really love about um, Sand Valley is the it's just the sand itself. The bunker sand is the native sand there. It is not the the court that like very bright white pro angle sand that the ball just like pops out of. Right, you have to hit good bunker shots to succeed at Sand Valley. You have to figure out how to play a how to play out of the sand because it's heavier. One thing that I kind of on my last visit figured out was having more bounce on my wedge going from, you know, my 60 degree is a very low bounce 60 degree that I usually use out of the sand. I went to 56 with more bounce and that really helped me in the bunkers because um, the sand is kind of soft. Yeah. Soft and, and the, heavy and the sharp leading edge might dig in it. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point. So I switched to that and it really helped me, but this is the thing when you get into these, into these waste uh, bunkers or just natural bunkers, that sand is an adjustment and and it's it makes it difficult and all of a sudden you could make a bogey on a short par four that you feel like you should make a birdie i love it it sets the tone also with all these golf courses for anybody you know i think anybody 
one of the things you have to get used to really early is the pace at which these golf courses play. They are firm and fast. And nothing, uh, nothing is dicier than hitting like half wedges into an elevated green to get to get used to that. It is. I don't. I think it's like a a warm handshake in the sense you can make a birdie, but I don't think it's a warm handshake. It does not make you feel comfortable when you walk off the first hole at Sand Valley. Yeah, there, there's definitely some peril on the hole. So yeah, it's a, it does its job as an opening hole. And if you get in trouble on that hole, then you have two coming up which is going to punch you in the mouth pretty much no matter what. That's a tough hole at Sand Valley. What's your so second hole? You kind of got to you kind of got to make your hay on the first hole. So my second hole is at Sedge Valley. So okay. this hole is so clever. The first two holes at Sedge occupy kind of a different portion of the property than the rest of the course occupies, right? The the course really gets going on the third hole where you're getting into the main part of the site that most of the course is in. And so the first couple of holes might kind of seem like a warm up. You know, you could play them as a loop because they just kind of go out and back. And the land that they're on is like not the best land at at Sedge, I would say. I'm not sure how much Doak's team shaped it, but you know, there there's some topographical interest out there. It's just not quite as magical as the rest of the property. You know when you move from 2 to 3 that you've entered a new space. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you're you're very aware that this is sort of the dramatic beginning of the golf course and the first two holes were sort of a you know like an overture at the beginning of a of a symphony. I'm not even sure if that's the right term, so my apologies to the music nerds out there. In any case, 2 is such a clever hole. <laughs> like it's so well designed and the green is so cool. So, you know, the thing that I really like about this hole is that the fairway is super wide, but a really good shot, a really good tee shot is pretty specific. Yeah, and it varies based off of how far you hit it because it, Absolutely. because the 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 feature of the fairway runs on a diagonal. And that feature is a hog's back sort of. And the direct like a, ma- a mound in the middle that cuts on a diagonal and deflects balls right or left. Yeah, like a like a ridge and it, and it can deflect balls left but it deflects them most sharply to the right. And the beeline to the hole, the shortest route to the green, is along the right side of the fairway, sort of right along the edge of the ridge in the fairway. And so if you get aggressive, if you say, I'm going to hit this ball toward the green to try to get the shortest approach possible, then you could end up way down to the right. You're still going to be more or less in the fairway, maybe sort of on the edge of some rough grass and a little bit of scrub down there, but you're going to be totally blind. You're going to have no reference points for where you're supposed to hit this approach. And the green is tricky. Like there are some runoffs and there are some little areas that you can get in trouble in. There's a a really wonderful kind of hidden bunker right in the back of the green. The shaping is just beautifully executed, which you sort of expect from Renaissance golf design. uh, Anytime they, they do a course, and so I think this hole is really clever and makes great use of a piece of the property that might not otherwise be that compelling. Yeah, I love that hole. It would probably be my runner up for the second hole. My my pick Sand Valley. I'm sticking with Sand Valley. Um, that second hole is so disorienting. Um, I think that's probably what I love most about it. You're hitting 
you know, a driver or some longer hitters are going to hit less than a driver to a spot. And then you're going to have, if you play up to the left, you'll have a look at the green, but you have a longer approach. If you play down to the right, you have a shorter approach and a blind shot to probably the least forgiving green on uh, maybe outside of Lido on the property um, where you have sharp runoffs around it. And uh, it's a big par four. Um, you you really have to hit two great shots there. Um, and I just, I, I love that the way it kind of moves along the land, it kind of plays down into a ridge and back up to a ridge and snakes around it. Um, and it's just a really great hole. So let's move on to three. What's your hole three? Uh, I'm going to go with the sandbox. Of course. <laughs> What's your hole three and why is it the sandbox? That is really the question there. This is, this is the, the maiden striking. green. This yeah. is, they call it a double plateau, but it's, it's really a maiden. There's no reason to be pedantic about that, but it's like two big, platforms it's just, it's just in the back a striking of the green, green. yes yeah. such a striking green um it's so fun it's I, I think it's about 70 yards you can hit so many varieties of shots you can try and run it up it's a terrifying when the when the green uh, when the pins on one of the two ridges on uh, two high plateaus back right or back left it's a terrifying shot it's extremely hard to hit it up there again you're hitting like a uh, you know like a a soft wedge into a really firm and fast green. And that's like one of the, it's just, you you have to make decisions. Do you want to kind of bounce it up into there? Do you want to land it on top? It's just a really fun shot. And I think this is like, I've been thinking about this a lot. Um, that's a green that's perfectly acceptable on a par three course. Um, it's very similar. I feel like it's very similar to some greens that Walter Travis built. Um, I agree. And, and that, and that Seth Rayner built, yeah. but, but the style and the boldness and the sheer height of the platforms in the back kind of remind you of, of okay. Walter Travis yeah. at Cape Arundel or, or wherever else. Or like country club Troy. Um, and like those greens, I don't think if it was a non par three course that like Corin Crenshaw would build that green. And I just like wonder about like w- the state of golf architecture to where like that's unacceptable because it's like it's a perfectly legitimate shot and then if you're up there you have like basically a flat putt um and a really good look but it rewards a great shot and like walter travis was putting these greens on long par fours yeah and (laughs) here we are like it's only acceptable if it's a 70 yard par three so um i don't think you would see that green Anywhere on a dream golf resort property uh, outside of like the Lido, which is a private club loosely associated, that type of green would not exist at a dream golf property unless it's par three course. And I don't think that's necessarily great for golf architecture. I agree. Um, A couple of things about the green, a couple of things that Bill Core has said about the green um, said, I think on this very podcast a few years ago, When you went out to Sand oh, Valley for the opening of the Sandbox, it? he called it two. He called them matchboxes, yes, which is just a delightful, classic Bill Corrism. Two matchboxes under the green. I need, I you know, I, I need Bill Core to be writing my material on these golf courses because he always has some analogy like that that he uses to describe the features that they're building, and uh, I think that's that one is spot on. And then the other thing that he said about it is that, you know. 
he wanted to build this kind of green for a long time. He and Jim Craig, Jim Craig shaped a lot of the greens at the sandbox and was really one of the biggest architectural driving forces behind this course. He and Jim Craig had wanted to build a green like this for a while, but had never really had an opportunity. And so to your point, I think the reason that they didn't have an opportunity previously to build a green like this is that they kind of weren't allowed to on a regulation course. But here they had the freedom to let their freak flag fly a little bit. And you look at it and you're like, yeah, this could be on a short par four and it would be great. Right. But somehow or another, we're, we're too serious when it comes to regulation courses. We can only loosen up. That's what I don't get is like just in general, right? Like you hear, uh, like Gil Hans talk about how he felt liberated to build more bold greens at a hoopie because it was, you know, there wasn't stroke play. It's a, a match play course, yeah. Yeah, because it wasn't. And it's like, why why have we gotten to this this fair police? And especially, if anything, I feel like society should be emboldened by the, you know, golf architecture society and developers should be emboldened by the praise of Lido because that is as severe as it gets. And and that kind of plays into my fourth hole. I'm going with the channel hole at Lido. I don't know what you picked. I, I wrote down the channel hole. I think there are a number of good fourth holes Lots at of good the resort. Hole. But yeah, I mean, how can you not pick the channel hole here? And and tell people what the channel hole is. So, like this is a famous golf hole in the history of of golf architecture. And I think, like honestly, like I was thinking about um, recently. I wrote something on Colorado Golf Club, and uh, and I was talking a little bit about the familiarity of Core and Crenshaw designs. They use effectively adapted versions of the channel hole. Um, you know, Weekapa has one. Um, Colorado Sam, Golf Club has Colorado one with golf, the uh, double fairway. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Sand, Sand, Sand Valley, Valley even has, has a couple one. of them. Yeah. Yeah. 12 uh, yeah. at Sand Valley would be a, a, a modified version of this channel hole or similar. So the the whole idea about the channel hole, it's a, it's a par five. It's reachable um, if you go to the right, really. So there's two distinct angles of play a right side of the fairway which is i think about 30 25 to 30 yards wide it is the more aggressive play it is surrounded by sand if you play to the left it's a wider landing area but a longer shot in so you're you're kind of conceding for most hitters that it's going to be a three shot hole there's yeah, a, and, and there's it's a, a long carry to yeah. the right, to the aggressive fairway. There's a longer carry, and it's a more narrow landing area. Water runs along the left side and then cuts in front. So if you hit a bad tee shot and you find one of the many, the copious amounts of waste area, then carrying the water on your next shot becomes a, a very big chore. So the penalty specifically for going to the right, if you miss the fairway, is you're going to probably, you'll end up in waste area, and then it's a questionable situation as to whether you get over the water which is a huge huge advantage because that's the difference between a long iron into a par five or a wedge into a par five and you shouldn't try to get over the water if you miss the fairway on this hole well it depends on your i I can speak from experience on (laughs) that on that one is you get a lot of like ropey lies because it's waste it's like you know it's like being in beach sand um and you can end up in a footprint you could be being native so anyways um then you know that so you're severely advantage you're greatly advantaged going right and then it becomes like maybe a reachable hole the the hole the green is fronted by a very deep bunker so it's it's a great hole it is a great hole it's a harsh hole (laughs) 
you it's know, welcome to Lido, <laughs> right? In in certain wind conditions, it's going to be a tough one for I a mean, lot of golfers. I played it into the wind, um, and I I hit as good of a drive. I p- was playing the white tees in Tom Doak's event. I hit as good of a drive and as good of a three wood as I could get hit, and I got there. But like th- that was like 500 yards, and I I mean I absolutely hammered both of them. And you so went you, you went down the right side, down the right yeah. side, yeah. yeah. Like I mean, it, so if you're playing it into the wind, it is it is brutal. It's a beast, and yeah, I mean I made something like a 12 on this hole, but I, I don't hold that against the hole. It was my own fault. But there is an aspect to this hole that is really kind of penal, right? The drive is definitely classically strategic. Even if you just choose to go to the left or if you can only play to the left, the fairway is is on a diagonal and you can kind of choose how much of it to bite off. But then from there, it's a steeplechase hole, mm-hmm. right? You have to hit over a big water hazard and then you have to hit up onto a high barricaded green. And so there's something that's very kind of old fashioned about the hole. You don't see holes being built like this in forced, this era forced carries yeah you didn't see many holes like it in the 1920s being built there are forced carries and if you get off the garden path on this hole you're in really big trouble and and probably the best play is usually just to kind of chip out and sort of start over <laughs> um and so it's a it's a very harsh hole but obviously extremely impressive and memorable and you can just imagine at the original Lido, this being right there on the channel. I mean, kind of a spectacular act of golf architecture. Very daring. Yes. All right. Hole five. What do you got? I chose Sedge Valley. I um, have that too. I think this is a, it's a ridge to ridge par three. It's the beginning of a stretch at Sedge Valley of some holes that are in really interesting kind of severe land. Maybe not uh, severe might not be the the right term for it, but it's kind of like the the features back there in this portion of the property are sort of small. They accommodate small holes. And so you've got four small holes in a row, a par three, a short par four, followed by two more par threes. And then a short par four right after that. Yeah. So it would be, you know, a kind of almost five, a stretch of five holes that are sub 320. And it's it's a magical piece of property. I really love it. Obviously one of the points of Doak's routing is that it gets you to this property and lets you sort of explore it. And so these these holes are really fun. It kicks off this stretch of holes that just flies by, and all of them are shorter holes that are so different from the other. Yes. And so you can see that they put a lot of work into making these holes distinct from each other because if you have like so many short holes and so many par threes all in a row, then one of the dangers potentially is that the holes kind of blend together, but they definitely don't do that. They're very distinct in their concepts and their green uh, contours and everything like that. This green in particular on the fifth hole is super memorable. It's kind of a boomerang shape, reverse boomerang in relation to the T and it's got these platforms on the left and the right and a lower section in the middle and some really artistically presented bunkers around that kind of remind me of like McKenzie bunkers, the way that Alistair McKenzie would bunker a green that's set into a hillside like this one. It reminded me of that. And one thing that I heard about it is that Tom Doak himself 
actually shaped a lot of this green complex. That's what I heard from one of the uh, employees at, at the Sand Valley Resort on the agronomy team, that he kind of disappeared <laughs> for a few days and and just went to work on this green. And uh, it's it's quite something. It's It's really cool. Yeah, what I love about the green too, just from the par three standpoint, it's a short par three that can play really easy when the when the hole's in the in the front middle bowl. Um, and then if you put it on either the back right wing or the back left wing, it becomes very challenging. And I just love the the ability to kind of have a hole that is really malleable where it could play, you know, a short par three that could play two point seven five or three point two five on a given day, right? Like where you have that big swing just by moving the 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 whole you know 15 feet left or right yeah that's the way to introduce variety into a into a par three strategy and and some motivation to play the course multiple times all right hole six hole six what do you have for hole six i've got mammoth uh it is the famous boomerang green so uh, another boomerang green yeah. like two sort of well yeah, they're flipped, I come to think they're of flipped. It. yeah so because uh, yeah exactly if you like turn the boomerang almost 180 degrees then you have kind of the the green at mammoth i pick this it's just a fun hole i mean i i think like you get up to it and no matter what you're like setting sights on the draw on the on the green and you want to get that ball rolling into the boomerang right the other thing i love is if you don't hit the green then it's like your you your mind becomes an imagination become uh really activated about how you can hit it close and it's not necessarily a direct path. Like you start thinking about the different ways that you can use this green to get different places. And for, for this golf course, you know, I, I think that there are a lot of greens that bowl. Um, this one probably this one bo- definitely does. <laughs> this one bowls um, pretty creatively. Yes. And, and I think that's why I wanted to get it into my routing. I think the six hole you could go with so many. There's so many great six holes. But yeah. I, I wanted to throw this one in there and kind of just highlight the the creativity of this of this green at Mammoth. I chose the same one. You know, I I think that the sixth hole at Sedge Valley ultimately yeah. is probably between the two short par fours that land on number six at the resort. The one at Sedge is the one I prefer. But I also, you know, I think that there are a lot of good holes at Mammoth and I, I want to make sure that it's that it's in this routing. It just has some tough competition. But yeah, I mean, part of what I like about the sixth hole at Mammoth Dunes is that you can if you if you go at the green, if you make the decision to try to go at the green, then you can get into some trouble along the right side of the hole. Yes. If you push it a little bit, you can get into some really bad spots where you can't see the green on your approach and you could be in some pretty nasty hazards. And so that choice has some stakes to it. If you choose to play aggressively, then you've got to execute, but there's the option to play out to the left to a big expanse of fairway. Now this fairway isn't necessarily totally visible from the tee, So you kind of have to know the course in order to do it. And I, I like that, right. In order to, you know, bail out, you have to know the course a little bit and trust your line and so I like that it, this whole, the different choices have different complexities to them. And so it's a, it's a good hole. Um, all right. Number seven. I got Sand Valley. It's the par five. Uh, it's our first par five on, on my routing. Uh, and I think it's just a, it's a spectacular hole. You've got, you're kind of like playing through two big dunes. 
and you have a tremendous centerline hazard. And then I just love how this big sweeping hole plays down to this little green tucked into sand dunes. It's a beautiful green site. It's, it's just, so good. It, and it's just an amazing hole. You kind of don't know where you're going. And then you cut, crest the hill. And it, obviously, you have this spectacular centerline bunker. You crest the hill, and you're kind of looking down at this little green. And you're like, you know, if you're trying to go for it in two, you're like, you're looking at it as like, oh, I got to hit it on this tiny little green. Um, and it kind of shares that with the next hole or uh, two holes later, the ninth hole, where they have these just these beautiful little greens tucked into these tiny pockets, and everything narrows up as you get near it. This is one of my favorite par fives in the world. I definitely chose it too. I think this is the obvious choice here. Seven at at Sandbox is one of my favorite holes at that course too, but it doesn't really compete with seven at Sand Valley. This is uh, a great, great par five. One feature of it that I love is how after a good drive, right? If you if you cut off some of that big bunker, that that big waste area that you see off the tee, then you have a couple of choices. There's a fairway that kind of sits over a hill on the left, but you can't see it. Yeah. You have to trust it. And then there's a more visible fairway to the right. If you hit out to the right, then your angle into the green is substantially worse. It's actually really tricky because the green is pushed up, surrounded by hazards, and it's not angled in that direction. And so you have to be very precise with your approach from there. If you go to the left, to the blind fairway, and you manage to find the fairway over there, then you have a much easier approach and the potential to kind of kick more towards the green. And so, yeah, I think I think it just works really well strategically. So, uh, yeah, love seven. And that green side is just it's it's so beautiful. It's like back in its own little valley. And you you don't see that valley until you kind of walk up on it. And so it's like you're discovering something. And and I always like that with a hole where, you know, where you start is nothing like where you end up. Here's the thing about Sand Valley as we move to eight. This was always going to be a par three. Okay. Every eight, uh, eight, every, every eighth, eighth hole eighth, is a par three. Every eighth hole is a par three. How about that? So, which par three did you choose? <laughs> I chose the eighth at Mammoth Dunes. All right, um, I did it too. Yeah. Uh, the main part of the hole that I like, I mean, it's a beautiful, striking hole. Like, it's, a, it's one of those picture postcard holes at, at Mammoth Dunes. Kind of an island green surrounded by really nicely sculpted sand hazards and downhill and there's a big view in the back and you know it's it's got all the aspects of a of a hole that the routing was kind of building towards right that's why we're out here on this part of the property is to kind of get to this vista and then after that you turn in and you go somewhere else to kind of find another spectacular yeah. portion of it's the property. end of it's like it's like if you're on a hike and you get to a spot and then you turn away yeah this it's is the, the destination the yeah yeah so uh yeah, there's there's that part of it that can't be ignored. Um, you've talked about this before. There are two very different tees on this hole, right? Well, that make it, I think it's just like basically what I love about this hole is the tee box. Yeah. Which nobody like nobody ever talks about tee boxes. The tee boxes. Yeah. Yeah. So the it's just like box. the tee moves forward and to the left. And it's all fairway pretty much. It's pretty much all connected. So what happens as you move forward and to the left, it's an island green. It's like a very pure island green from the back 
back tee box, which is the furthest right. It's you all have carry. To, all carry it's like over the sand. I think it's about 190 yards. I'm, I didn't look up the yardage, but you know, if I'm wrong, you can tell me. So it's 190 yards to. So it's a, it's a, it's a challenging shot. The left side will funnel it in a little bit, but you have to hit a good iron shot. As you move forward and to the left, the the aspect of island green becomes less and less. And really, that's for it accommodates lower and lower trajectories. And when you get to the very forward tee, you can run the ball in and the contours allow for a run a shot run in through a pretty narrow strip of fairway, which really rewards a precise running shot and it'll funnel it right into the every hole location. So I just love the tee boxes here. I think it, it's just a very creative way. I think like one of the things about short par threes in general uh, and par threes in general is that they do really favor high ball hitting sh- players. And I think this is a great example of a hole that blends playability into it and, and really can appeal to all players if they're playing the right tee boxes. Yeah, that's a great point because a lot of short par threes have these small little pushed up greens, which you can't get to if you're if you unless you can really hit a ball high with spin. And this is something that I like so much about the sandbox, by the way, yeah. is that it's full of really short par threes, but you can play all of them pretty much along the ground. There's none that are sort of discriminatory <laughs> towards players who hit the ball like 80 yards and don't get it much more than a, a few feet off the ground. And so, yeah, I think that's a great point. And uh, yeah, I, I think a lot of par threes, you know, sometimes courses don't have the space to do what David Kidd did with this par three, but I wish I saw more par threes with like radically different tee boxes. It's just such a great way to make something that's genuinely challenging for an expert player who might be playing the blue tees or whatever and accommodating for somebody who's up at the red tees. You know, that that's... I, I think that's a, a smart, obvious thing to do that you don't see done that often. All right. Nine. Nine. I think Shortest we went hole? the same direction with this. Shortest hole on property? Speaking of par threes that you can putt. Yeah. This is uh, <laughs> this is just a giant, giant green with a big... It's this almost is at like the sandbox, a kiss, by the way. Yeah. This the ninth sandbox, hole of the sandbox. Ninth hole sandbox. Huge, massive green with just a big kitchen sink, effectively, a drain in the middle. Yeah, that that really a bathtub. I I mean, this hole I've played it like dozens of times. I think I made two one time on it. Mm-hmm. Like I think I've played you can, it. Like, you can make five on this. Yes, hole in a, in <laughs> so easily. It's, it's like it's like twenty yards long. <laughs> yeah, it's so short and it's amazing. It's just an amazing green. I, I I mean, so it's got this like extremely deep depression. You could call it a big punch bowl, but it's got this like effectively. Um, just drain that catches everything. If you don't hit a great putt, chip, pitch, flop shot, whatever you choose to play, the ball's ending up in this drain. And from there, it's like a v- extremely hard two putt. So it makes this like 20 yard hole. Like it's a hard 20 yard hole. It's an amazing green. Yeah, it's it's incredible. It's a masterpiece of a green. You have to see it. You can you can only really understand it and conceptualize it if you see it and you walk that green and you see 
everything that's going on there. It, it is truly a lot of fun. Um, also want to shout out a number of other really good ninth holes Mammoth at the nine resort. Is good. Uh, yeah, I love the ninth hole at Mammoth. I think that's one of the best holes on the course. It's a beautiful par four that has a, a really cool strategic design. And it's just a great part of the property like that's so lovely back there so quiet yes you you have like you are so far away and you're over that ridge and it's just i've been out there just from shooting like out there especially back in the day when drones didn't have the range they have now (laughs) yeah you have to you have to walk away to get out to drone yeah i would be like out there with the sun going down i remember being out there one really late fall day and it was super crisp Nobody was out there. It was probably like 38 degrees, and, and it was just an epic place to watch the sun go down. Yeah, very beautiful. And then the ninth hole at Sand Valley, the short par four that you mentioned earlier, is a really excellent hole, too. But Nine uh, at Lido is going to be is a really cool short par four. Yeah. Or not nine at uh, nine at uh, Sedge. At Sedge, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I only saw that hole kind of shaped in the dirt, so so I'm not uh, I don't I don't have all that the information. Nine at about Sedge it. is awesome. It just it's a short four. It's really a, the smart play is to hit like a, a an iron or something short off the tee, and then the green pitches away super severely. I love wedge shots into greens that run away. Yeah, because it's like if you don't hit a perfect wedge you're going to end up 30 feet away. It really like wedge shots into greens that run away, magnify great shots from good shots. Yeah. It's all about spin control. Yeah. Trajectory, spin control, every like hitting the right shot. Like, you know, when, when a green runs away with a wedge, you have to hit the right shot, which is very rare with a wedge in hand. Absolutely. I I like that point because the uh, spin on a wedge shot varies so much more widely than spin on other kinds of shots because of the the different types of swings that you put on a wedge it's not just a full swing every time and so it can it can range from really low spin to really high spin this episode is brought to you by fat cork it is champagne season again we are approaching the holidays and Fat Cork is all about champagne. They work exclusively with small, family-run grower champagne houses to bring you the highest quality cuvées from France. So grower champagne houses. These are producers who grow their own grapes. And this is something that makes champagne really unique and memorable. I've sort of been getting a little bit into wine lately. I I don't know a lot about it. I'm not going to claim to be a wine connoisseur (laughs) of of any sort or somebody who should advise you on on that sort of thing. But the champagne that Fat Cork brings to you is so distinctive and so delicious. What it reminds me of is a golf course. Now, bear with me here. A golf course that has a real sense of place. The champagne that Fat Cork focuses on has a sense of place it has terroir is that's i think the the word that wine enthusiasts use because you know where it's coming from you know where the grapes are grown you know who the producers are they are specific families specific couples specific people and so their champagne is coming from somewhere very particular and that's why i really enjoy the champagne that I've gotten from Fat Cork. And that's what makes this business so special and uh, and so compelling to me. 
So the heart of Fat Cork's business is the Champagne Club, where customers have the finest champagne shipped directly to their doors. You can also purchase individual bottles, tasting kits, and gift sets from the online retail shop at fatcork.com. Now, they've also created a landing page with specific packages just for fried egg listeners. This is at fatcork.com slash golf, and they are offering free shipping on any of their products with the code GOLF. They handwrite all gift notes on nice stationery, and a human will answer your calls and emails. So that's Fatcork. Check them out at fatcork.com slash golf, and let's get back to the episode. All right, on All right, to 10. the back nine. Yeah. What did you choose for 10? I'm curious. We, I we went didn't... Lido. I don't think okay. it's really much of a question in my mind. It's the Alps hole. I think this hole, like you think about like the greatest Alps hole in the world, and most people would go to National Golf Links uh, of America, which is the fourth hole at National Golf Links. Um, and I think this is the one that rivals it. Um, it is a spectacular shot. You can play right off the tee, which you want to do, but you have to contend with a, a series of bunkers that you can't really see. Yeah, you, you can't see them. Yeah. And, <laughs> Actively and if, cannot. And yeah. if you get it up the right, you have a, you'll have you get a view of every... I played a far, far left pin, and I got it up there, and I had a view of it. Yeah, and, if you hit it long enough, yeah. you, have to, you have to get it out there mm-hmm. a ways in order to see the green around, around the big Alps feature of the hill. If you hit a safe shot, you will not see anything. It is a massive, massive hill that will impede your view of the screen. That's really fun. It's got backstops and everything. It is a spectacular golf hole. Spectacular. It is probably the best 10th hole at the resort. You say there's no doubt about it. And yeah, I, but, but I was looking for balance okay. in my dream 18. I, I and I, I have something I got, coming I got up. A lot, I have some representation. I got a lot of, I got a, li- a lot of Lido coming on the yeah, back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I have some representation coming up from the Lido very very soon. So I ended up going with the tenth hole at Sand Valley. Um, Good par five, which is a par five. This is a kind of classic Corin Crenshaw par five. There is some kind of template or habit here that Corin Crenshaw use on their par fives. It's got a centerline bunker. You know, it reminds me a little bit of like the third hole at Bandon Trails or something like that, where you've got a mid-length par five, you know, mid 500s or so, maybe up to 600 from the back tee. And, you know, maybe some longer players can reach the green from the tee, but it's really all about like, how close can you get to the center line of this hole? because there are just hazards all the way up the center line of the hole. And here, basically, you have a choice between a low left fairway and a high right fairway. And then from there, you play into the screen. And this is what really makes the hole for me, how beautifully sighted <laughs> the green, green is. Amazing sight. Like, it's just you walk around there and you're like, this is this is the most beautiful part of this property, weirdly enough, even though it's like not spectacular or anything. It's just kind of pressed into this little knoll where there are a couple of greens and a couple of tees clustered. And, and there's some pretty trees too. Yeah, some like old dead trees, yeah. like sort of craggy and gnarly. And it's just, there's something about that green site that's just so well executed. It's the shaping that they did there. It's amazing to look back too yeah. from it when you're, because it just comes down that hill and it's, it's, it's a massive hole. Right. And I'm not going to claim that it's like, the same level of strategic design as 10 at Lido. <laughs> like clearly in that sense, that hole 
is uh is superior but um the 10th hole at sand valley is just one of those holes where you kind of look around for a second and you realize this is incredibly spectacular golfing terrain that this course occupies and you almost start underrating that as you play the course because you get used to it but it's so beautiful back there and and it's sandy and and wonderful you're making concessions yeah, we've got we've got some visitors outside the shed right now. This is part of the magic of the shed. Cameron Hurtis just poked his head up there. He yeah. wants to be on the podcast. He wants he can, to be an influencer. He, he can open the door. Yeah, too. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, we're just chilling. All right, eleven. I what do you have? Do, do we have the same? Do we have? Lido? I, I'm doing Lido. Yeah, yeah this is Lido where I'm, this is where I'm going to start a mini run of Lido. This green is just like a work of genius. I've you know I don't even know how to describe it. But I don't know, like uh, maybe we should talk about the rest of the hole too, but I just go straight to the green. It's got like these speed bumps in it. It's got a little speed bump in front of the green and it's got a speed bump kind of midway or I toward mean, the, back the back of the green. The back pin is terrifying. And it's another yeah. green where you're hitting a wedge in where if you want to get to the back pin, you have to hit an absolutely perfect wedge. Yeah. Because if you're in, in most people are going to end up short with a back pin because there's water and a deep bunker behind that, you and know, a big you're runoff behind yeah. into the water. Yes. So if you're a little bit long, you're, you're, you're running gonna... off into the water. So, so, you know, long's dead. So you end up pulling up and you end up five yards short. Well, there's like a big ridge that brings your ball back. And then all of a sudden you have to deal with this delicate up and over putt to the, and it becomes then, Oh, this is a hard two putt for me to get out of here with the par, even though I hit a really good wedge shot into this par four. And then the front pin's so fun because, you got kind of like a backstop and it's just like the malleability of of the way this hole and then if you move the pin over way over right it's kind of like a shallow wide green which i think works really well for a shortish par four yes yeah everything about this green is is so creative and cool and it's pretty simple right you've got and when i say speed bump i mean literally imagine a speed bump on a road that's what this green has running through kind of its middle back section uh, perpendicular to the line of play, right? And then there's a little roll in the middle. And so it forms kind of like a T, right? Uh, A T of raised contours. And it just defines these different sections of the green. As you say, the different portions of this green play really differently and, and kind of like, you know, ask interesting questions uh, for, for each, you know, uh, area of the green that the pin might be. So it's it's just a, a really cool one. All right, All right for 11. 12. No, 12. 12. 12. Yeah. I'm staying at the Lido. All right. You're going with the punch bowl. It's the punch bowl. You don't even know it's a punch bowl until you get to the green, though. Well, a, a keen player, and this is why I hate big flags. I think that big flags, giant flags for punch bowl greens should be eradicated from golf. You're a big flag hater. I am. Because keen players, smart players, um, wise wise golfers which golf should always be rewarding people who are paying attention after you play when you play four you could poke your head over there and see where the pin is yeah i mean something about the routing at the lido is that that's it's it, the it, first couple of holes on, on each nine you know what are... they didn't have in 1920 big flags <laughs> they didn't have big sure? flags for punch balls did they have poles that mark the uh that mark where the green is for, I don't know. for blind holes? I don't know. I'm sure, you know, they built big things back then too, you know. This, big flags need to go. Okay. 
All right. It's my number one complaint. Stop with, stop the, 12th with the big hole. flags, everybody. Twelfth hole Ruins gets the design. Docked, gets docked. Honestly, docked. Presentation because because of the big big flag. <laughs> any any golf course with big flags, unless like I kind of get busy public course. I kind of get that. But if you're a club, you should be rewarding your your members who are paying attention, and they should have a huge advantage when they bring guests out. As to like, oh, like I'm I'm like a good example would be the country club. Right. They have a uh, they have big flags in there. And it's like, oh, I could I could just poke my head over and look and see when I'm playing another hole and see where the hole is. And then, you know, I know to look there. We need to be rewarding people. OK, OK. Uh, for for course knowledge and for being observant while they're playing. And, you know, the two things I think that listeners know about the 11th hole or the 12th hole at the Lido at this point flag. is that it has a big flag and that it's a punch bowl. But maybe I should tell them a couple of more things about the hole. One is that the drive is pretty spectacular. It's a, a diagonal drive ac- across a water hazard. So bite off as, as much as you can chew. Can I can I say it kind of feels like you're playing in Florida when you get on that tee? <laughs> so you don't like this hole. I'm fine with it. You're, I like the a, hole. You're, you're a hater. Of I the like the hole. I like the fairway feature in it that gives it like a kick. If you yeah. play aggressively, there's like a speed right. slot to so your gaining. Yeah. yeah, you're gaining yardage by playing on the diagonal, and then you're also getting a beneficial kick, so you can get down to where you. I had like a wedge into the screen. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Yeah, I had like a four iron, but this is the difference between my game and yours. But uh, the even the the, the four iron was all right. It was a nerve wracking shot, but if you get it up there, it will gather in. The thing about this green that I think is cool, and we can move on uh, to your 12th hole after this, is that it's a combination a of a it's the big flag, first of all. <laughs> Second of all, is that it's a combination volcano punch bowl, right? It's yeah. a big built up volcano looking thing. But it's actually a punch bowl, and I just like that contrast. So, what's your twelfth hole? What'd you? Do? I got Sedge Valley. Um, you probably didn't see. I didn't this play other, this hole. Yeah, yeah I, this hole was one of the ones that was not grassed when I was out there, and maybe not even shaped at that point. It's an epic green. So it's two hundred and seventy-five yards. It would be for the most part a par three most places, but it's par four. You know, it's friendly. Uh, there's a ton of, you don't really see fairway left, but there's tons of fairway over to the left for people to play over there. From there, you have a really weird, so the shot of the green's very long and narrow, um, and it's got a lot of slope and undulation. And there's a built up feature on the left that, um, it kind of, so if you're going at the green from the tee, that, that feature is going to funnel your ball into the green. If you're if you play left off the tee, that feature all of a sudden then you have to really contend with because the green's narrow and you're going to hit a shot in there that if you catch the backside of that slope, if you catch the slope of it, that's that's corralling your ball off the tee. If you catch that slope on your second second shot from the left, it's going to shoot the ball probably into the bunker over the green right. So there's it's just this short par four. You know, it's reachable for everybody, pretty much, if you're playing the proper tee box. I I imagine that, like, the middle tee would be 230 yards. So if you play left, then you have to deal with this slope that helps you when you go for the green off the tee. And this narrow, really undulated green, it's just a neat hole, and it's just something... Like, it's an example of, like... Somebody might say, you know what, that green's too much if it's a par three and it's 275 yards. 
but it being a par four makes it acceptable, right? Yeah, that sounds cool. <laughs> um, and it's, also, it's just beautiful. Like the greens up on this ridge. It's just like you get there and you're like, whoa, like it's a striking hole as well. I could have chosen 12 at Sand Valley too. If I were to go back and edit yeah. my Dream 18, I might have switched Split that with 10 at uh, at Sand Valley. I could have gone with either of those holes and there you, you, move some things, things around. Flag? And move, move uh, Yeah, well, let's dock it for the big flag, you know? <laughs> Like screw the big flag. What are we doing here? I still like the twelfth hole at Toledo, but I, I might like the uh, God. I like the thirteen. Eh. There's there's a there's a lot of really good holes at Toledo, so uh, you can you you can't really go wrong there. All right, thirteen. So thirteen. I was just thinking about this. <laughs> I chose Mammoth Dunes. I did too. It's another really pretty par three, and it's it's sort of a hit it or else over a huge sandy valley, and it's just really memorable. And nerve wracking. Maybe the most consequential shot at Mammoth Valley or Mammoth Dune or Mammoth Dunes, which is probably why I like it. It's yeah. the one I feel like the one time you stand or one of the few times you stand on the tee and you're like, I really have to hit the shot. You're nervous because if you miss the screen left or short, then Or long. Or long, yeah, because it kind of wraps <laughs> yeah, around that back. That back area that'd be a terrible spot to. It's hit. a nerve wracking swing, and and you know something that David Kidd says a lot that I find interesting, and that part of me wants to disagree with, but I hear where he's coming from, is that in this phase of his design career, one of his big goals is to give players confidence, to make them feel as though they can swing freely, and that's why players feel so happy on his courses. <laughs> And feel so great after the rounds because they've had this kind of high of being able to play golf as they have always imagined they could play it or should be able to play it. And the design gives them that power, which is sort of uh, an impressive thing to be able to do with design or or a, a goal that seems admirable. But this hole sticks out at Mammoth Dunes because you're nervous and you know that if you make a bad swing that you're going to pay for it. And it's also just a pretty hole. It's a, I mean, we can just say that like, it's beautiful. Yeah. He also does the same thing with the T boxes. They move to the right, um, uh, the forward into the right. And as they move forward into the right, the green gets deeper. So that's another yeah, that's aspect point. of the, of the friendly nature, which is, I think a really brilliant thing with this short par three, that's got a force carry is that it gives more space as you move up into the right four players that might not be able to spin the ball on this firm and fast turf. Let's move on to 14. What do you have? 14. I've got the sandbox, which is the, the semi blind par three. I just, I'm just going to say it. I love blind shots. I am. If you don't like blind shots, me and your golf taste don't go to take your big flags and get out of here yeah there's you know there's not not a big flag (laughs) 14 at sandbox (laughs) yeah it wouldn't have made the list if it had a big flag it doesn't have a big flag and it's pretty much blind yeah so why why don't they put a big flag in when it's over on the right side see this is another example of of curtailing to the to the regulation game like where regulation game you know on the on the par three course we're able to do things we're not able to do on regulation courses if people were entering this round on their on their gin apps then uh is that how you pronounce it gin or gin you know a friend of the pod ed mate told, told me exactly how you pronounce it and i forgot 
He he oh. made a point to tell me how I forgot recently. Is, I it, saw, is it complicated how I to saw, pronounce no, it? No, no, no. I, I now I have the yifs. Is, I just, it, is it like I have gif no or jif? I'm just I'm just gonna <laughs> abstain from saying it from now on. G H I N. So no nobody's recording the score for their handicaps, and so they don't care if there's a big flag or not. Um, yeah, I mean, and I think this hole can be non-blind if they put the flag on the left side of the green. Yeah, I haven't seen the yes, flag there. I've I've played but, it there. Um, there's a big kind of knoll that guards the front right portion of this green and it's built, right? It's constructed. It's basically, there was nothing on this land. And so they had to push around a lot of soil to make the features on this course. And it's just a beautifully shaped knoll. (laughs) Like I, I know that's a weird thing to say, but I just really like how it looks. And uh, then you get onto the green and you realize that it's pretty big. Mm-hmm. You you basically can't see, can't see any of it from the tee. And you get back there and there's like a lot of room and some interesting undulation and a pretty sharp runoff in the back. Oh, yeah. It's severe. Yeah. You don't want to miss. And so, you can't shoot it with your yardage gun. That's yeah. the other thing. Because there's no big flag. It's just a cool, it's just a, it's just a cool fun hole that uh, that is very different from really anything you would find on a regulation course. All right, let's. Uh, is that yours? That's mine too. Yeah, I mean, I I think uh, as with most of the holes here, like you know, fourteen is is a is a pretty strong one at Sand Valley. I think that one takes it though. So I would 15, at fourteen fourteen at uh at um at I I like fourteen in a lot of places. I like it at Lido too. I you know, there's a yeah. lot of fourteens. That fifteen is in the same bucket. Fifteen. At uh, at Lido could be it, but I went with fifteen at Sand Valley. What about you? What what is fifteen at Lido? Remind me. Strategy. Amazing yeah. So hole. Th- like it's that hole is incredible. Hole. Yeah. There like, are so I, many I, I, different I, I, ways you can go. I wasn't even thinking of that hole because I just kind of put fifteen at Sand Valley on there because I know that I love that hole. It is a great hole. I mean, it's it's got kind of this. It it runs through a very subtle portion of the valley that uh, most of the back nine at Sand Valley runs through. It's kind of an out and back routing and uh, the the back nine at Sand Valley. And it's just a, a really beautiful location. And this is right in the middle of it. And the hole kind of moves to the left. And if you bail out to the right, then you have a longer approach. If you challenge the stuff on the left, you have a shorter approach. And then there are these lovely little mounds in I front think, of the uh, green i think bill core another bill coreism i can't remember i think he referred to that as a hot dog bun in front of the green <laughs> a hot dog bun so you got the two two sides of the hot dog bun in a in a in a valley through the middle that you can play through if you're in the right spot you could play right through the middle of it along the hot dog yeah, yeah. Oh, Bill Core never change. Yeah, I it's think great. that's what he referred to it as. A hot dog. I bun. can't remember if it was in private or on a pod, but I, yeah. I he he called that a hot dog bun in front. And they're just they're just super fun. I mean, you don't see many greens where what guards the front of the green are these vertical features covered by short grass. It's just not used enough. That's arguably one of the most severe greens on property too like if you get above the hole there it it like it's really like crazy how sloped the back half of that green is it's got a ton of slope and it's easy to easy to three put the green's really good that's kind of obscured i think by the fronting mounds it's in and the in the dune it sits kind of in behind it it gets obscured like the slope in that green gets obscured one of my other favorite shots out there is one time i left it short of a front pin and the 
pin was right over one of the mounds and I had this impossible sh- shot from short grass over the over one of the sides of the buns to the to the pin and it was like what do I do do I put it do I bump it into it do I flop it over it do I land it on top of it and let it, it, it and it was just like those are the moments I find the most um compelling in golf is when you're standing over a shot and oftentimes they find you find them around the green to with severe features where you're standing over a shot and you're thinking about the six different ways you can play it and you're not sure which way to do. If you hit the green on this hole, you should be sad because you'll have so much fun <laughs> trying to figure out how to hit your short game shot from the bunkers along the left or short of the mounds or wherever you are around this green complex. It's just so interesting. And by the way, you mentioned the dune that it's set into. It's the same little area that the 10th green is in Mm -hmm. that I mentioned. And it's just this magical little corner of the property that I love and and think is so beautiful. And you get to return to it with this green. And that's uh, one thing about the routing that's that's really well done. I think the hole is about 420 from the back. But just talking, how wonderful would this hole be as a as a drivable par four? Yeah, a little bit longer. Yeah, I, I sort of agree with that. That it, it, and or if it were not just a drivable, just like a long par four, a hole that's where you're hitting like a wood into the green instead of an iron. The I like this is where I like kind of lament how people just play golf from the same spot every round because this would be a, a fascinating hole to play way up um, on like a fairly regular basis. I, w- I would be really curious to see what people would end up doing, you know. That said, 15 at the Lido is definitely the best 15th hole at, the, at Sand Valley because that, so, that hole is incredible. I but, think uh, we'll touch on this. I think we both picked 18 at Lido. Oh, but yeah. like 15 is another example of a hole. And have, I've got, I'm lucky. I've gotten to play now, I think, five rounds at Lido. And Fancy boy. I've, play, I've played one. So Andy's coming at this with a lot more knowledge than... I am about about the Lido. The thing about 15 at Lido, and it's exemplified with a lot of holes out there. 18 will be one. We'll talk about this. But 15 there, there are so many different routes. And where you want to get to is so dependent on where the hole is. Like we played a front right hole. And this 15th hole, it just feels like bombs away. But really, the play is like playing short and left. Because if you play short and left, it opens the green up and you get the full spin of a wedge to play to this front right pin. But then if you move the pin over to the left, it's like, okay, you could play it way over to the right and push it up because then you're playing up into the slope with a wedge, right? Like It's just amazing how when you move the pin out there, all these bunkers come alive and playing short left, for example, there you have to choose if you're going short left or long left because there's a bunker that cuts on a diagonal with it. Right. Like, so you're just playing to these different islands and one, you know, it's it, we'll talk about it with 17. But one day I, I I hit it on 17 and I hit it like what I thought was too far left. But I found this like two yard strip of fairway between a bunker and the native that was like actually the perfect spot to be. And it was like, oh my God, like I didn't mean to hit it here, but this is like, this opened up the entire approach to the green. Yeah, there are so many possibilities on that hole. And 
you know, w- without describing it in depth, basically what creates the strategy on this hole is two diagonal lines of bunkers through the fairway. And the fairway itself is very, very wide. And so you can choose between different carries, basically. Like, what carry do you want to take on here? That sort of determines your tactics on the hole. And a lot of that, as you say, is determined by the pin position. And so it's, uh, yeah, it's just a very complex and interesting fun hole. So um, 16, what did you choose? I went with uh, Sedge Valley. So did I. Centerline bunker, left side gives you a perfect view of the green, helping contours. Um, it's very narrow. It's, it's like 15, 20 yards wide. If you uh, The first time I played it, I fit it right up in there. It had a really easy wedge shot in. Next time I played, I, I bailed. I went right. It was almost like I knew how tough the shot left was, and I just didn't let myself hit it over there. Hit it right, completely blind, everything working against you, end up in the back bunker after I hit what I thought was a great shot. Um, just classic hole. Like you can't, it's amazing how visible it is when you go left and how unvisible it is when you go right. Yeah, the, the visibility, the sight lines are the heart of the strategy of this hole. Amazing topography too. Incredible topography. It generally runs uphill and the green kind of kind of sits in what looks like a hollow basically, but turns out to be a little more complex than that once it's you a, get up to the it's green. It's definitely a hollow if you're on the left side. If right. you're on the right side, there's run, have, a like, runoff to run, the left. Runoff yeah. to the left, a slope that's going to propel your ball short that's going to like shoot your ball into this green and then there's a bunker on the right that like catches balls that are that that go run through so really bad spot to be right great strategic hole yeah and and it's it's a huge advantage to be able to see the pin see the green and there are a million different places to play in this fairway right there's you talked about right and left but there's a bunch of different places where you can get like little platforms, little corners of the fairway where you can get a certain advantage or disadvantage going into the screen. All right. 17. What do you have? I actually chose Sedge here again. I don't know. I like, I, I could go with a number of different holes here. You know, the, it's the long hole at the Lido. You have the punch bowl par three, long punch bowl par three at sand Valley. That's really fun. And you have the last hole at the sandbox, which is actually not one of the better holes at the sandbox. So I'm not going to, you know, uh, uh, say that that one is I went was in Lido consideration. Here. You went Lido. So first of all, my argument for the 17th at uh, at at Sedge, you know, there's all sorts of trouble up the right side of this hole, and it's really intimidatingly presented. Like the visual of it from the tee is super obvious. It's saying. If you play over here, you could be in big danger. And the green is angled just so that an approach from right near there (laughs) is obviously a lot better. You know, you have so much more in the green that's going to help your ball when it lands if you're over on the right. And if you decide to bail out to the left, then that approach is brutal from over there. Depending on the pin position, things change with different pin positions on this green, but I think it's a good representation at, at Sedge Valley of how exacting the lines of charm are out there, right? I mean, it's a simple concept. It's as simple as strategy gets, and there are little intricacies that that make it different than just your normal kind of like risk-reward hole, which is basically what I described. But 
what what makes it work, what makes it a hole that you want to play over and over, is that in order to get to the line of charm, you have to really take on something pretty scary, and uh, and I think that that's that characterizes a lot of holes at uh, at, at Sedge Valley, but yeah, seventeen at the Lido, also an incredibly impressive uh, adaptation of the long hole. Yeah, I, I mean the green is unbelievable it's so similar to the 14th at at, uh st andrews i mean it's just a incredible incredible green that runs away so so severely i had a downwind wedge shot on um one of the days i played it like full wedge full bore spin and i was standing over the shot and was thinking i have no chance to hold the green and i didn't I landed very close to the front hole location and just shot over into the back bunker. It's like, you know, you saw it in the open championship, right? When uh, Rory and Cam Smith were coming down the stretch in that great, great finish. Cam Smith got it past the green and had an easy chip back up, uphill. Rory left it short and had this just impossible up and down. And, and that's that green's just extraordinary there's this ridge that runs up the right that kind of can corral balls and funnel them in um one of the most amazing features is Lido was a blank slate right um you know there everything was created there are amazing ground contours on this hole right in the landing zone for drives too yeah. it's like right right where your drive lands that's where McDonald and Rayner built these very St Andrews like undulations into the fairway so one of the most amazing features, which Tom Doak pointed out when he was talking about this at, at the dinner at his event, is there are cross bunkers. And if you hit a bad drive, you might be laying up in front of these cross bunkers. And right in the middle of the layup area, right in front of the bunkers, there's a created plateau that sits up. And if you're on the right or left of it, you're blind. And if you're on the plateau, if you laid up right onto the plateau, you have a clear view of the green. Just brilliant. It's good stuff. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's just amazing. There's, there's all kinds of things like that at the Lido. That, this is the kind of stuff that makes the Lido so interesting and, and why people are blown away by it, right? Because everything as you, was created. As it's Everything is created. And there is an intention behind every single little fairway contour. Not just every single little green contour, but you walk around those fairways and you find things you know, look at the green from a certain portion of the fairway. If you see a feature that kind of sticks out, go over to it. There's a purpose to it. There's an intention there. And it is, that's why it's so intricate is that it has these little details that, that have a function. All right. 18th hole. Uh, I think we both went Lido. The 18th hole of the Lido is one of the greatest holes in the world. I mean, it's so incredible. <laughs> It's based, obviously, on on Alistair McKenzie's Lido contest entry from 1914. McKenzie built this ridiculous hole, or drew this ridiculous hole, right? It's like on ocean cliffs, and there's like this perfect little island out on the beach that makes an alternate fairway. You know, it's like this fantasy hole. It's obviously really cool, and there's a million different routes to to succeed on the hole, and it has this very complex you know, multi-lobed green, but you look at it and you say, nobody could possibly build that hole. That is stupid. There would be no landforms that would allow for this hole to exist. Unless you created them. Unless you just build it off of a flat, swampy site, as they did on Long Island or or off of 
flat sand like they did in, in Wisconsin, you overlay the McKenzie hole on an aerial shot of the 18th hole at the Sand Valley Lido, and it's basically the same. All the proportions are perfect. And so, anyway, I, I mean, it, so it was... one thing I guess that's different. Talking to Brian Schneider when I was playing, they the markings had for a fifty foot elevation drop on the left side of the fairway, <laughs> and they they're like, we'll just go twenty five. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so one concession, we can't we can't go quite that crazy. They, and, 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 and we're laughing be... because you go out there. And everything's huge. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, it's and already huge. To be they didn't have like accurate um uh understanding of what was built at the Lido. They just were like, you know what, fifty feet might be too much here on the left. That would be crazy. Yeah, I mean, you could talk about this hole for days. I, I think that to give people a basic idea of the strategy of the hole, you know, you have a drive where you have a few different options. You can play up this fairway on the left with a, a a big hazard that cuts through the the middle of the fairway on a diagonal. Yeah. And if you go like a series of bunkers cut through from right. basically left to right. Yes. So the further the further you hit it, the more decisions you have to make. The further you lay back, you have more options in the sense of you have right and then you have the short left option. Right. Yeah. And you know, so when I played it, I had a really good drive like way left up the left part of the fairway that it feels like too far left yeah. because you're aware that the hole kind of travels in a different direction. But I had a good drive up there and I get up to my ball and I realize I can see the green from here. And you're in the greens open from there. The only way you you're going to get to the, there's this majestic back right plateau. The only way you're getting there is, is the best way to get there really is up the left and, and to run it, yeah. up to that plateau yeah and so i realized that i was in a really good spot i thought of it as a conservative play because it feels more conservative to go out there than to hit it down the center of this hole which requires a pretty big carry or even to the right but you know the hole generally travels over a pretty big rise in the land that was obviously manufactured and so finding a way to see around that to the green is kind of what you're trying to do on your drive and you can do that if you play up the left then also there are aggressive options for playing down the middle of the yeah, corridor or play, to the right. If you play at the house, the left side of the house, you can thread it between two bunkers, which is like, I I didn't know what I was doing. My caddy told me to hit that shot and I hit it and I got up there and I was like, that was really stupid. Like <laughs> it was like, and it, it worked out. I had like, a, I had a short wedge in. But it was like I threaded it between like a 10 yard gap between two bunkers. And it's like that. I'm never going to do that again. By the way, <laughs> side note, give the caddies some time yeah. to learn the Lido because uh, right now, not all of them might have all the information about how <laughs> you should really play this course. Well, it's hard. It's, hard. <laughs> it, it's I, very yeah. difficult. I, I relate. I, think, I relate with it. I think I, the thing that I'm most amazed about with the Lido after after getting to play it so many times is that it was so disorienting the first time around and seemingly hard. And my last time around, I felt like it actually was getting pretty easy. Because if you get into the right positions and you hit the shots, and this was a day I played very well, but like I got into spots and I all of a sudden felt like I was hitting into bowls. But I was getting to the right spots off the tee to get those 
opportunities to hit into both, if that makes sense. You solve the puzzle. Yeah. Or parts of the puzzle. And yeah, I mean, that's what's so attractive about the Lido is that. So, it- and it, just a side note, um, you know, this is anecdotal. So, Tom Doak's event has a, a champion. It's like a match play event. Peter Flory won that. Two weeks earlier, the club championship was held at the Lido, and Peter Flory won that. The man that, like, knows every contour out there. Yeah, he, he's the one. He's been on the podcast. He's the one who basically modeled the course and enabled them to build it with such precision. So it makes sense. It also happens to be the case that he is a stick. Yeah, he's a great so. player, but he's play- and he's played it a ton. But I, I, we were talking about it, and I just, like, you can just start to see, like, and I was texting with another guy I know that's a member out there that's a really good player. Is like, you once you start to understand the course, it's like, oh, this isn't that hard. You just have to understand. It's hard to understand, but it's... Once you understand it, it becomes very like it's it's like addicting because you know where you need to get to for different spots and it changes and it's you know it's it's a it's an amazing strategic golf course. I think the Lido deserves its own podcast. Probably, yeah. you know, we've touched on a few key aspects of the Lido, but it might be the most interesting course to discuss that has been built since I've been working in golf maybe in the 20th, uh, 21st century, (laughs) you know, like it is fascinating to think about not only because of the stuff that you're talking about, the strategic puzzle and the opportunity to kind of figure out intricacies that other people might not know about that, that possibility is real out there because of how complex the course is and how much is going on on each hole. And so that's one area to talk about. The other thing to talk about when it comes to the Lido is some of the, I I don't know what you would call them, like historical, ethical considerations. Yeah. Like just taking this course that once existed on Long Island and kind of transplanting it to Wisconsin. It is strange to be out there. It's uncanny. It's it's almost uncomfortable where you're like, should this be here? (laughs) You know, I'm glad it's there, but I was unsettled by it because it's like I was walking through I don't know, like a mausoleum or something, <laughs> you know? Um, and so, well, I mean, I think like, I think where I would lend, uh, where I would struggle is like, I don't know how many more Lido projects should exist where we're just copying something versus building something new. Mm-hmm. Um, like that's like my, my takeaway from Lido is like, how, how come architects like Tom Fazio who constructed courses like from nothing didn't think about things in this detail because that's the thing. I just felt like it's a different level of golf architecture um, in terms of like thought process of, around strategy, right? And alternate routes. And it, it kind of is like, well, like how was this built in 19, what was it? 1910 or 12 to some of the 1916. <laughs> it opened in, I might be wrong here, but 1917. I 1917. Believe is when it and, so, and obviously, National was earlier. How how did we have someone that understood strategy in golf so well then, and how we've had so many golf courses that none of which have reached even close to that level of strategy? Yeah, and and you know, to the point that maybe we don't want to see a lot more of these reconstructions. I can guarantee that it's all downhill 
from the Lido See, now we're, from now this we're, idea. Now we're now we're now we're getting into the Lido podcast. We're ending. Yeah, we, we got to we got to finish I had, up. I had a we par sixty nine. I had a par sixty nine. This was fun to do. If you ask me tomorrow, it might be different. Um, but this was fun. Uh, lots of uh, lots of blindness in in mine. Lots of blindness in mine. Mine was a par sixty eight. Lots of par threes and par fives. Yeah, I think the the par threes were expected because we were dealing with a I one of the courses having fives. all par threes. But uh, I had quite a few par fives, and I think that that's one thing that stands out about the resort as a whole is the quality of the par fives and how memorable many of the par fives are. All right, thanks, Garrett, and uh, let us know what you agree with, what you disagree with. This is a fun topic, and definitely by no means do we have the right answers. That these are not authoritative. These are meant to spark discussion. Dream 18s always do. So thanks, Andy. This episode of the Friday Golf Podcast was produced by Matt Rusius. Thank you, Matt. If you are enjoying the Friday Golf Podcast, then please consider giving us a rating and review wherever you happen to be listening to us. We really appreciate those and we like hearing feedback on what we're doing. All right. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you.